we all sin. Like we all, we're all screwing up. We're all making mistakes. But the work of repentance is the work of facing the harm that you have caused and the ways in which you are not the story that you tell yourself about who you are. Welcome back. Uh, Aaron Berkowitz here with Rabbi Danya Rutenberg, who is an award-winning author of eight books, including On Repentance and Repair, Making Amends in an Unapologetic World, out September 13th from Beacon Press. She serves as scholar-in-residence at the National Council of Jewish Women, and her writing has appeared in the New York Times, the Atlantic, Salon, Time, Newsweek, and many other publications. So I wanted to welcome, thank you for coming, uh, Rabbi Rutenberg. Um, Thanks for joining uh, me today. Um, First question would be just why this book at this time? This book, this book started in the wake of of Me Too, as um, as people who were looking to try to make sense of very public abusers' paths back into public spaces. Um, what would that look like, and 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 how would we know if it was time? And um, as I got into more and more conversations with different kinds of people, it started to be clear that um, our culture really doesn't have the tools to understand either personal accountability, right? The sense of what to do if I have caused harm and what my obligations and path what my obligations are and what the path should be and what that should look like, but also, you know, as institutions cause harm and as nations cause harm, how to talk about what taking responsibility looks like and how to center the person or people who have been harmed and what care and concern for their interests look like. And um, I mean, I think this book is relevant always, but I think it's, Especially, I mean, it's it is it continues to be relevant now because people are hurting each other, and we as a culture don't have the tools um, to to do the cleanup work. And in the Jewish world, uh, this is from Rambam. My my basis is from Maimonides. This this is our framework, and yet, you know, in a communal sense, um, we don't institutionally always do the work in the ways that we should. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting why the Ramam. I mean, you know, he's, it's over a thousand, it's like a thousand years old and you're sort of reinterpreting it in, in a modern context, but why that book versus perhaps some other Jewish sources or ideas around the framework of repentance. I mean, listen, Rambam, Maimonides, uh, took, uh, he sort of synthesized uh, the classical sources, the basic you know, sort of rabbinic understanding of what repentance is and can be and should be. Um, and and he he put it in this in a framework that um that was sort of clear and incisive and and I believe my reading of it is that there are really have clear distinct steps for what someone who is making chuva needs to do, right? Their first you do the vidui, the confession, and then you start to change, and then there is amends, and then there is apology, right? And then you make different choices. Like there are very distinct steps. There's a clear process. 
And so then when you have this lens, this brilliant lens, and Rambam really is the gold standard for tshuva, right? In our community, they're like, oh, there's this other book that I read, you know, <laughs> I read Sharei Tshuva, which was written by someone who was sorry when he understood that he shouldn't have burned <laughs> the Rambam, <laughs> right? I mean, the irony and the levels. Um, but... Um, Rambam is the gold standard. And when you take this lens, this brilliant lens he, he created, and you apply it to so many situations in our world today, it checks out. Yeah. It's interesting <laughs> that the, the Rambam, right? I mean, I think to a degree, he's from a different time and era, and, and some of his beliefs perhaps would not uh, align. So do we separate art, so, so to speak, art from artist here? Or like our are we allowed to sort of divorce perhaps some of the Rambam's views from his his steps on tshuva? I mean, listen, um, it's the, you know it's it's that's such a complicated thing the art from the artist, and I think we have to right. I mean, you know, I I I don't believe in purity tests on the one hand, and on the other hand, I think we need to be thoughtful about who we are platforming and supporting. Like, I absolutely think the Rambam need to do tshuva on his, the things he said about women, about non-Jews, about a lot of other, you know, like, I, there are places where I, I, I think his halacha is, has harmful impacts on other people. What can I say? You know, or he, his, his psak does harm. I, that is my opinion. Um, and. Um, using his work to create a more whole world today can create healing and transformation for so many people. To me, that is different from I'm going to stream this artist on Spotify who today is tweeting fascist things and I'm going to make this guy rich, right? Uh, that is that is currently bolstering someone who is actively um, fomenting great harm today and using a platform to uh, cause harm, harm today. Right? What is what are you doing, and what is what impact are you having? Like, I think I, I think we we have to be nuanced and we have to be thoughtful about what the thing is and um to remember that what you know netflix has a lot of choices of people to whom they can give a six million dollar comedy special right and there are a lot of incredible people who have not sexually abused anybody and who are not making transphobic jokes right so so they can make choices with their money and we as consumers in a free market can make choices and we, as in a country that has the First Amendment, can say what we think. That's, um, yeah, I, I I just, you know, I think there are uh, a lot yeah, of people. historical content, right, that, uh, you know, did live a long time ago. So impartially, um, I think time has uh, is a factor in, in that kind of that work uh, as well. Right. Um, it's also interesting. How, how do you think, like, how do you define sin, I guess, is, is a good question. I think this book does a really good job thinking about repentance, but like, how do we define when repentance is necessary? You know, how do we define that kind of that framework? 
I, you know, I, I don't think there's any one, I don't think I can give you one pithy definition, right? Harm is, is some kind of injury to another person. Um, I, what, you know, who decides that and, and who gets to be the arbiter of that is, is tricky. Um, I certainly don't think that only people with more power in a given context can be harm doers and that people with less power are only victims. And I, that, I think that that takes away from something of our messy humanity in the way that we're all human beings um, and can interact in all sorts of different ways. And I think when we try to pretend that power doesn't exist and isn't a factor, we are um, naive in ways that usually hurt the victim, right? A, a, an encounter between a parent and a child is not neutral, right? And if the the thing, like the, an encounter between a male dean and a female student is not neutral, right? An encounter between a white policeman and a black unarmed motorist is not neutral. And so they are not, on, they're not starting on equal ground and how we decide whether or not to evaluate what harm has been caused and whether or not a thing was harmful, right? Something that between that, that a male dean said to a female student may not have been harmful if he said it to his colleague, male yeah. or female, or might not have been harmful if he had said it to a male student. But that is where you have to be thoughtful. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I remember sitting in uh, Rabbi Yaakov Elman's class uh, in NYU, and his whole, I mean, one of his major sort of pushes was reinterpreting, you know, Talmud through historical context and understanding um, how the rabbis were ruling, but not based on necessarily halachic sources, but also the context in which they were living and how that affected their 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 rulings. I mean, so that was always like a really big lesson to me, uh, you know, in that setting of of it's not as simple as right or wrong per se. It's, it's also, you know, there's there's nuance and there's there's a um, gray area that you have to understand around the person and around the context in which things are being made and decided. Right. Um, on a different note, um, I know a lot of our readers are interested in like the publishing world. So like, can you talk to me about the research writing process of this and like getting it published and how, how that sort of works? Sure. Um, so, uh, and I apologize to everybody listening. There's um, a, a small person singing in the background and that's, you know, part of lived reality over here. Hi. Um, so, I mean, you know, it became clear that there was going to be a book and then figuring out the table of contents was really, that's always the hardest part, right? At first it's like, is it the, am I organizing by the stages of tshuva? Uh, maybe am I organizing by type of harm? Like there's a chapter on me too. There's a chapter on uh, systemic racism, except I'm not a policy person and I cannot actually solve all these problems myself. So I did not want to do that and feel like I'm, so I'm like, I'm a rabbi. We're, I'm like, we're doing moral thinking. I'm not going to solve that. So, and then I sort of figured out how to organize it and sort of, then I can sort of put together a book proposal and go shop it around to publishers and say like, you know, <laughs> here's my sample chapter. Like this is, and you know, and then when I, once I had a contract, then you do the, then it's time to do the real writing. Um, when I became a freelance writer um, at age like 22 or 23, 
I was had these men, amazing mentors who were like, you don't write anything until you have a contract. Like, you know, <laughs> you, got, you got your sample chapter, but um and yeah, and then you know, writing each chapter was a trip. I, I learned a lot. Those each chapter had its own deep research. I, I really had to consult with a lot of experts and chase down a lot of specialists and interview a lot of really, really brilliant people to be able to get into, you know, that was both like I was I, I did some learning with a couple of Rambam scholars. Um, I could pester with all of my, my questions and, um, you know, try to see things in new ways and, um, you know, and also try to like learn the history of, of, you know, Germany right after World War II and, you know, make sure I was understanding the Truth and Reconciliation Commission process correctly and, um, you know, there was a lot of different, I went into a lot of different rabbit holes. Um, and now I'm here on the other side. And yeah. Was there, yeah. there was an agent involved or it was just you and. Oh yeah. yeah. No, I have an agent. I'm, I'm very grateful that I've had the same agent for a really long time. And cool. I know, I know we have a uh, somewhat time constraint. So, and, and sort of the, to honor that I did have, um, sort of a final question. Um, if you have more time, I'm happy to keep going, but, uh, one of the ideas that comes up in Jewish thought, I don't know about a lot, but at least in, in terms of repentance, is that oftentimes uh, we see sort of the holiest people as those who sin but repent. So I, I was curious to see how that that fit into the ideas in your book um, around, you know, people sin, but that the sin um, doesn't necessarily mean the end, but we can come back and that sort of makes you even at a higher level than you, perhaps you were before you sinned. I mean, I don't, I don't think... I think what what that that concept, the holiest people are the ones who sin and repent, is not. Um, I mean, you know, we all we all sin, like we all we're all screwing up, we're all making mistakes. But the work of repentance is the work of facing the harm that you have caused and the ways in which you are not the story that you tell yourself about who you are. And um, it is engaging with the truth of yourself in this profoundly humble way. And it is about learning to ask for help and learning to make yourself vulnerable. And it is about reaching out and growing in all of these really sort of deep kind of primal ways, right? It's like it's, to do the work, really, you have to get at all this like fundamental root stuff, and so it is about growth. It is about reaching out and seeing the other in this really profound way and, you know, trying to access them in a really deep way um, and transforming into the kind of person that doesn't do the thing that they did originally, like you completely change. And so, yes, of course, by the end of the repentance process, you are, I will, if you want to call it, you are on a higher level, then that is, yeah, you have transformed, you have grown, right? It's not, um, you are just, you are, you are, you are more true. You are more integrity. You are more, 
in line with yourself, with the divine, right? That's why they call it juva, because you've returned back to where you were supposed to be all along. Um, so, yeah, you know, like that, you know, you, we all we all wander away. And the person who's gotten back, and when you make juva a spiritual practice, we don't talk about this. When you make juva a spiritual practice, that's not just like the thing you did that one time. But that is because we're all screwing up all the time, all the time. So when it becomes part of a regular spiritual discipline that you do, it gets easier. You're like, oh, no, here's this like humiliating feeling of avoidance that I have again. Okay, hello, humiliating feeling of avoidance. I see you. That's because I don't want to have to figure out what my vidui is. Okay, you know, and then you kind of like, you're like, fine, I see you again. Like, and then as you do it, more and more, it just becomes, it comes easier and easier. It's like that muscle gets stronger. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's built in sort of to the Jewish, right? And at least once a year, we do it uh, for Yom Kippur, or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's also interesting, right? We have it on a daily basis to a degree, uh, especially in like Nusaf Svart or um, that kind of, you know, prayer service where Vidoy is a, is a regular concept. Um, and people can't take it that seriously and make it that kind of practice. Right. But, you know, Vidui is just the the tip of the iceberg. Then it's like, okay, you named what you did. Now what? Yeah. It's interesting you had that, uh, you quoted, I forget, I'm forgetting the person's name, right? Um, but it was now that you've confessed and what, and, you, and what are you going to do about it now? And that, that was a really powerful, I thought, uh, process because it's what, you know, it's thought without action is not really, um, it doesn't really prove anything. No. If you're, then you're just, you're the same person, just harming again and again. So as we, as we sort of um, wrap up, I didn't know if there was something you wanted to add or something I didn't cover or didn't cover that well that, that you wanted to sort of put on. No, I, don't, I don't think so. Excellent. Um, so they can find the book and they can find your work in general at donyarudenberg.net. Um, it can be pre-ordered now, right? And it comes out September 13th. One week from today. Thank you for joining me in this episode of Exegesis. If you enjoyed what you heard, please feel free to rate, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also support the JLJ on Patreon or PayPal with the links provided in the show notes. See you next time.